Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about endometrial cancer. And you can find written notes on this topic at zerotofinals.com slash endometrial or in the cancer section of the Zero to Finals Obstetrics and Gynecology book. So let's get straight into it. Endometrial cancer is cancer of the endometrium, which is the lining of the uterus. Around 80% of cases are adenocarcinomas. It's an estrogen-dependent cancer, meaning that estrogen stimulates the growth of the endometrial cancer cells. A tom tip for you. For your exams, any woman presenting with postmenopausal bleeding has endometrial cancer until proven otherwise. The key risk factors to remember are obesity and diabetes. Let's talk about endometrial hyperplasia. Endometrial hyperplasia is a precancerous condition involving thickening of the endometrium. The risk factors, presentation and investigations of endometrial hyperplasia are similar to endometrial cancer. Most cases of endometrial hyperplasia will return to normal over time. Less than 5% will go on to become endometrial cancer. There are two types of endometrial hyperplasia to be aware of. Hyperplasia without atypia and atypical hyperplasia. Endometrial hyperplasia may be treated by a specialist using progestogens with either the intrauterine system, for example the Mirena coil, or with continuous oral progestogens, for example medroxyprogesterone or levonorgestrel. Next let's talk about the risk factors. You can think of the risk factors for endometrial cancer in relation to the patient's exposure to unopposed oestrogen. Unopposed oestrogen refers to oestrogen without progesterone. Unopposed oestrogen stimulates the endometrial cells and increases the risk of endometrial hyperplasia and endometrial cancer. The risk of endometrial cancer is associated with the amount of unopposed oestrogen that the endometrium is exposed to during the patient's life. Situations where there is increased exposure to unopposed oestrogen are increased age, earlier onset of menstruation, later menopause, oestrogen-only hormone replacement therapy, no or fewer pregnancies, obesity, polycystic ovarian syndrome, and the use of tamoxifen. Polycystic ovarian syndrome leads to increased exposure to unopposed oestrogen due to a lack of ovulation. Usually when ovulation occurs, a corpus luteum is formed in the ovaries from the ruptured follicle that released the egg. It's the corpus luteum that produces progesterone, providing endometrial protection during the luteal phase of the menstrual cycle, or the second half of the menstrual cycle. Women with polycystic ovarian syndrome are less likely to ovulate and form a corpus luteum. Without developing a corpus luteum during the menstrual cycle, progesterone is not produced and the endometrial lining has more exposure to unopposed oestrogen. For endometrial protection, women with polycystic ovarian syndrome should have one of either the combined contraceptive pill, an intrauterine system, for example the Mirena coil, or cyclical progestogens to induce a withdrawal bleed. 
Obesity is a crucial risk factor because adipose tissue or fat is a source of estrogen. Adipose tissue is the primary source of estrogen in postmenopausal women. Adipose tissue contains aromatase, which is an enzyme that converts androgens, such as testosterone, into estrogen. Androgens are mainly produced by the adrenal glands. In women with more adipose tissue, and therefore more aromatase enzyme, more of these androgens are converted into estrogen. This extra estrogen is unopposed in women that are not ovulating, for example those with polycystic ovarian syndrome or after the menopause, because there is no corpus luteum to produce progesterone. Tamoxifen has an anti-estrogenic effect on the breast tissue, which is why it's used to treat breast cancer, but an estrogenic effect on the endometrium. This estrogenic effect on the endometrium increases the risk of endometrial cancer. Additional risk factors that are not related to unopposed estrogen are type 2 diabetes and hereditary non-polyposis colorectal cancer, or HNPCC, which is also known as Lynch syndrome. Type 2 diabetes may increase the risk of endometrial cancer due to increased production of insulin. Insulin may stimulate the endometrial cells and increase the risk of endometrial hyperplasia and cancer. Polycystic ovarian syndrome is also associated with insulin resistance and increased insulin production. Insulin resistance further adds to the risk of endometrial cancer in women with polycystic ovarian syndrome. Let's talk about the protective factors. Protective factors against endometrial cancer include the combined contraceptive pill, the Mirena coil, increased numbers of pregnancies and cigarette smoking. Smoking appears to be protective against endometrial cancer in postmenopausal women by being anti-estrogenic. Interestingly, smoking is not protective against other estrogen-dependent cancers such as breast cancer where it actually increases the risk. Smoking may have anti-estrogenic effects in several ways. Estrogen may be metabolised differently in smokers. Smokers tend to be leaner, meaning they have less adipose tissue and aromatase enzyme. And smoking destroys oocytes or eggs, resulting in an earlier menopause. Next let's talk about the presentation. The number one presenting symptom of endometrial cancer to remember for your exams is postmenopausal bleeding. Endometrial cancer may also present with postcoital bleeding, intermenstrual bleeding, unusually heavy menstrual bleeding, abnormal vaginal discharge, hematuria or blood in the urine, anemia, and a raised platelet count when performing a full blood count. Next let's talk about the referral criteria. It's worth being familiar with the NICE guidelines on suspected cancer recognition and referral from 2015 concerning all the common cancers. The guideline contains the referral criteria and the red flags for each type of cancer and will help you quickly recognise and exclude red flag criteria. The referral criteria for a two-week wait urgent cancer referral for endometrial cancer is postmenopausal bleeding, specifically more than 12 months 
after the last menstrual period. The NICE guidelines also recommend referral for a transvaginal ultrasound in women over the age of 55 with unexplained vaginal discharge and visible hematuria or blood in the urine plus raised platelets, anemia or elevated glucose levels. Next let's talk about the investigations. There are three investigations to remember for diagnosing and excluding endometrial cancer. A transvaginal ultrasound can be used to look for the endometrial thickness. A normal endometrial thickness is less than 4 millimeters after the menopause. A papel biopsy, which is highly sensitive for endometrial cancer, making it useful for excluding cancer. And a hysteroscopy with an endometrial biopsy. A papel biopsy can be taken in the outpatient clinic. It involves a speculum examination and inserting a thin tube called a papel through the cervix and into the uterus. This small tube fills with a sample of endometrial tissue that can be examined for signs of endometrial hyperplasia and cancer. Papel biopsy is a quicker and less invasive alternative to a hysteroscopy for excluding cancer in lower risk women. Depending on the local guidelines, a normal transvaginal ultrasound scan with an endometrial thickness of less than 4mm plus a normal papel biopsy are sufficient to demonstrate a very low risk of endometrial cancer and reassure and discharge the patient. Next let's talk about the stages. The International Federation of Gynecology and Obstetrics or FIGO staging system is used to stage endometrial cancer. Stage 1 is when the cancer is confined to the uterus. Stage 2 is when it invades the cervix. Stage 3 is when it invades the ovaries, fallopian tubes, vagina or the lymph nodes. And stage 4 is when it invades the bladder, rectum or beyond the pelvis. Finally, let's talk about management. The usual treatment for stage 1 and stage 2 endometrial cancer is a total abdominal hysterectomy and bilateral salpingophorectomy, which is also known as a TAH and BSO. This involves removal of the uterus, cervix and the adnexa. Other treatment options, depending on the individual presentation, include a radical hysterectomy which involves also removing the pelvic lymph nodes surrounding tissues and the top of the vagina, radiotherapy, chemotherapy and progesterone, which may be used as a hormonal treatment to slow the progression of the cancer. So thanks for listening to this episode on endometrial cancer. As always, a big thank you to Harry Watchman for perfectly editing the podcast and I hope you join us for the next episode where we'll talk about ovarian cancer.